Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast from Winning Edge Investments that aims to keep you on the correct side of the betting ledger. I'm Rod Murray. Good to have your company as we leave behind that time of year when Christmas and New Year still get a mention and we head into 2020 proper. The travelling circus of world golf has, of course, been back for a good few weeks already and lots to chat about this week again with the game's two biggest circuits in action, both the US and European tours. We'll chat about those events and some of the politics surrounding the Saudi Arabia tournament in particular in just a few moments, but not before we meet my co-host in this caper, John Evans. J.E.'s been a punter and a golfer for as long as anybody can remember, and on risk and reward, he brings together those two special skills for the benefit of us all. J.E., good to catch up as always. Looking forward to chatting a bit of golf with you as we go today, and I'm going to out myself for the second time because somebody made a meal of the recording that we did yesterday. So this is take two. Apologies for that. Good to have you aboard again. And as I once said to you... um I like to do things first take, uh, Rod. Um, when I did, when I was a TV commentator for 20 years and they'd say, oh, we've got to do a rehearsal. I said, you rehearse, I'm going to do it straight off the cuff. So I agree one, with you. I agree let's with hope you. it's as good, Rod. Um, we, I thought yesterday I was, I was so looking forward to going home and hearing my own voice and then I got here and it wasn't there. So so anyway, let's uh, let's see if we can get it, uh, get it to uh, take. Uh, today. Well, ironically, but not deliberately, I did manage to capture my own voice. So I can sell you that, send you that file, and you can listen to everything I had to say and nothing you had to say. And let's see how that goes as a conversation. I agree with you. First take is always best in this business, but bound to happen occasionally. I finally made a mistake. That's my first one since 1983, J.E. So yeah, I know. Well, I, I'm, as I've, I've sung your praises before, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and well, the way I see it is having sung your praises, I'm entitled to give you a bagging. Absolutely. You've earned it much more than most who are doing it on a regular basis. Enough of all that. Uh, let's get on with some stuff. Before we come to the weekly selections that we make available here at the podcast, some administration. Firstly, make sure to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. It's easy to do. You can find us on all the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can also listen through the website at riskreward.fireside.fm and you can subscribe directly from the website as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes to make it easy to find, but it's riskreward.fireside.fm. Also, have you filled out the Winning Edge survey yet? There's $2,000 worth of prizes to be won just for taking a few minutes of your time to tell Winning Edge what they're getting right and, more importantly, what you might like them to change or do better or differently. You've got to love a company that wants to listen to its customers and do as they say. Head to the show notes for a link or type in – I'll give you a moment to grab a pen here because it's a long one – Uh, type into your universal resource locator, that's the little bar at the top of the internet page, winningedgeinvestments.com forward slash posts forward slash hashtag blog, B-L-O-G. I'll do that again, winningedgeinvestments.com forward slash posts forward slash hashtag blog. And you'll find the survey there on the Winning Edge Investments blog. And in fact, have a read of uh, a few of the blog posts while you're there as well, because there's some pretty Interesting stuff. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter as well at Winning Edge Bets. If you'd like to hear more golf podcasts, visit the Talking Golf Network website at talkinggolf.com. Just the one G in Talking Golf. And lastly, as a reward for being a podcast listener, make sure to take advantage of the special promotion to get John's tips each week. You get 25% off for the life of any subscription. So just $112.50 for the month instead of $150. If you sign up for three or 12 months, there's also a profit guarantee. There's no question that this is good value deal. 
that no profit. That sorry, that uh, profit guarantee puts the heat straight on JE. So let's bring him back into the show now. See who we, how he went this past week with not one but two Australian winners. JE, I'm guessing Mark Leishman in the US. Congratulations to him, lovely bloke, great for Australian golf. Probably starts generally at odds shorter than you would like. So I doubt he was amongst your picks last week. But I know you picked Lucas Herbert in the top forty. He went on to win. He's been a favourite of yours for some time. I know that you'd be frustrated. Terrific result for him and Australian golf. Uh, perhaps a little bit disappointing for you in some ways. Well, just to go back to that deal that, that you uh, suggested and with the long entree, um, you know, the, uh, going up to the Google, the answer. Um, these subscriptions which are being offered, I think there's seven of them. Seven of them, that's right, yeah, for the survey. Well, I'll tell you what, it's 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 impossible to get uh, trials prize tips under any guise now his his services. Obviously he has to limit the number of people because um, the the bookmakers markets aren't aren't as uh, aren't large enough to, to accommodate everybody who wants to join. So anybody who takes up that offer uh, is on a winner. Ooh, the two, a, the, the, yeah. the, the, the get the profit is a profit guarantee. You get the two thousand dollars. You know you're going to make at least four thousand dollars and maybe a lot more. And uh, so it's it's well worth it's it's a terrific prize. But in fact, I'm going to go on myself as soon as I get off. I didn't know about it until you told me. But anyway, <laughs> that's great. But come back to uh, to the last week. Um, I, I have tipped Mark Leishman particularly for um, top twenty and top forty. Recently, and I think I even tipped him to win about uh, at about a hundred bucks three or four weeks ago, and obviously didn't quite get that right. Um, he's he, but he was down to about fifty in in the event he won, and and he's one one great player and one great asset to Australian golf. A lovely bloke from Warrnambool. Uh, watch him on a windy day because the trees at Warrnambool are horizontal, um, and. Um, Unlucky not to won two majors. Should have won the Masters and the and the British Open. Uh, so, yep. so um, a great uh, a great asset to our game. Now, Lucas Herbert, um, who has been shown incredible competitive skills as a pro, uh, been a run second a couple of times where he was scun out of it. I think one where where um, uh, one of the Germans uh, topped him off with a unbelievable birdie on the last to beat him by a shot but I had tipped him two weeks in a row or three weeks in a row prior and I put him in the top 40 but for some unknown unaccountable reason despite the fact that he finished 50th the week before he dropped from $400 to $200 and following my philosophy of only looking for value uh, not looking for winners uh, there wasn't the value I was looking for and I didn't tip him the win but um, on the week we, we made uh, 1.38 units profit uh, across every uh, bet. And we have a lot of bets, as you know. Uh, podcast, but only gets a few of them. But uh, subscriber Stevie, he could be there all afternoon having a punt. And um, um, and we, we showed 1.38 units profit, which is good. I think the best we've done on the, on the top 20s and top 40s was during the President's Cup where we made 16 units profit. But this was not a bad week for us. Uh, the top 20s and the top... 40s tend to be amortising our losses on the big priced uh, ones where we're seeking the big return. Uh, this week, I've focused more on the on the big winners because I think that's what my subscribers are looking for. 
and uh, so we've got a couple there. Uh, right, I, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm happy to go into tipping on the Saudi. Let's do like. that. Let's do just. I just I just want to congratulate Lucas on his first European Tour win. Uh, known Lucas for quite some time, obviously being in the game that I am doing a bit of reporting about the stuff. Interviewed him a few times, both as an amateur and a pro. Had a couple of prickly. Uh, couple of prickly exchanges with him on Twitter over time. He's outspoken. He's fantastic for the media. Speaks his mind. Uh, he's a better player than I gave him credit for early in his career, I'd have to say. And terrific to see him get a win uh, on the European Tour because I think he'll be a player who's good in all departments, not just on the course. You get a lot of players, J.E., who are very successful and good players, but they don't give much beyond that. Uh, Lucas gives beyond that. And even if you don't agree with him, that's to be applauded. Um, He's out, as I said, he's outspoken. He's confident to the point of cocky. He admits that himself. Um, he'll have a strut in his step now, won't he? <laughs> After the finish, well, that's good. Well, you know the thing we often, when you think about it, the the, the journos, um, it must be terribly disappointing to get them all in there and they they sit in the interview room and they come out with the same platitudes every week and then. Uh, you know that the fellow, the, the the Irishman who copies them all, he gets them down to tease. And, and he, the trouble is, he hasn't got enough lines because they haven't got enough lines, and so we can hardly rail when we get a guy like Lucas Herbert who stands up and says exactly what he thinks, exactly, and and isn't isn't ashamed of it. And as you say, the confident bearing that he that he brings to the game is the reason that he was able to get up. He hit yeah. it in the water in the first hole of the pre of the quali- of the playoff, and hit it in the water. Didn't uh, phase him. Whacked it up on the green hole, the putt, and went to the next hole and birdied it and won the playoff. So it's that that you've got to have that confidence. And don't tell me that Tiger Woods not cocky. No, absolutely, uh, absolutely. You know, t- Tiger Woods is the <laughs> Tiger Woods is so cocky you'll stare in the eye and say, "I'm just going to beat you with my eyes." <laughs> don't worry about my clubs. So, yeah. so you know, I uh, I mean, we tended to pro- to to deprecate um, uh, confidence and cockiness in Australia and New Zealand, but but um, you know, Greg Norman had it. He, he might not have had it underneath, but he had it on top. It always got it. Yeah, it always rubs, got it on top. It always rubs some people the wrong way, doesn't it? But Lucas told me the last time I interviewed him, straight out. Uh, yep, I'm cocky. And if you have a look at all people in life who are successful, that tends to be a trait that they show. So he wasn't at all uh, backing down from it or backing away from it. And we may just have seen the start of something. He's uh, he's the quintessential modern player, Lucas. Isn't a huge swing. Massive club head speed, enormous distances with the driver. When it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. We saw that second shot he hit, as you said, into the first playoff hole. Well, it was, it was almost amateurish, wasn't it? I think he described it himself as the moment he hit it as the worst shot he's ever hit in his life. It was an awful golf shot. But as you say, within a couple of minutes, regathered, pitched it to three feet, hold the putt, halved the hole in pars, went back to the tee and, uh, and won it on the second way around. So. Yeah, that's the uh, well sign of it. That's a sign of a man with uh, belief in his own that, ability. That's real confidence, isn't it? To chop it in the water with a horrendous golf swing and step up within a couple of minutes and pitch a wedge in there to about three feet and make the putt. That, uh, that tells you a lot of that. Anyway, so that's enough. Well done, Lucas. Uh, congratulations. If you happen to be listening, it's unlikely, but you never know. Uh, you, might, you might like a double on the horses uh, and be a winning edge subscriber. Who knows? Let's move on to this week's event. Uh, still with the European Tour, although a long time since they played in Europe and it'll be a while yet. The Saudi International, controversial tournament politically, etc. We might talk about that a little bit later, but let's talk first about the betting uh, for the event. We know there's a lot of big-name players there because the Saudi government has splashed an awful lot of appearance money about, 
Uh, but you have looked through the field and found some value, Jay. Let's start with a very impressive young Indian player, been off the ball a bit lately, but undoubtedly very talented and a player to watch for the future, Shibanka Sharma. Yeah, Shibanka Sharma at um, uh, $500, as you say, um, been out of form, but it's, but not for us. We've, we've tipped him top 20 about twice, around about $9, and he's got up both times. Um, and uh, without telling you that I'm going to do that, I am going to do that. So, Shubanka Sharma, $500. Uh, as shown, he can mix it with the best players. To be fair, um, his wins have come in Asia where there aren't that many good players playing in the event, and there's quite a lot in this one. But um, it wouldn't surprise me that he's going to get over that little hump at some stage, and let's hope it to be this week. So, $500 him. Mm-hmm. Now, Podcast Pete, um, if there's a place on the website to write in dirty stories and uh, nasty remarks, uh, then they should um, send them into you this week because <laughs> I tipped Jorge Campillo yesterday, the uh, Jorge, I think he's called Jorge or anyway, whatever, George, George Campillo. <laughs> the Spanish lad. The Spanish bloke, yeah. I tipped him uh, yesterday at 350 and podcast Pete uh, would have run down to the to the uh, uh, the computer and got on and got on, and unfortunately Jorge Campillo is now two fifty, uh, which is significantly bit into his odds. But I had to put him in still, despite the fact that he's reduced by one hundred points, because Jorge his last. Six starts, 34th, 28th, 13th, 18th, 34th. And Jorge last year, once he got into form, he finished second, second and first in, in and I think he finished first in Morocco, which is uh, desert country, uh, just across the way from uh, from where they're playing in Saudi Arabia. Well, you, know, you wouldn't want to walk it but, or swim it, but, it, but it's not that far away. Similar country anyway. Lots of sand and uh, and, and plenty of uh, plenty of waddies. And uh, anyway, Jorge is still at 250. And I just want to tell you that there's a lovely little bet for Jorge. I did find some value. Top 26.8 and top 43.15. So, so he's a man who I think is going to come into – once he comes into form, we're going to keep tipping him, but his mm-hmm. price will reduce. So, so he's the man there. And then – an unbelievable bet here. Uh, top 20 bet. Soren Kjelsen, the uh, Dane. The Dane uh, very consistent player. Last three weeks, 13th, 51, 37. Uh, he's in form. He's uh, So I just thought the $14 was phenomenal value, top 20 for Soren. So he's our, he's our top 20 pick for Podcast Pete. Yep, career tour player. He's the quintessential veteran tour player, isn't he? He, he might not win very often, but he amasses an awful lot of top 20s, the odd top 10, and makes a very, very nice living playing the game. And one half of the reigning World Cup champions. Uh, I, know, I know they won it the time before, my mistake. Uh, yeah, that's right. The Belgians won it last time. The time before, well, they, won it in, they won it at Kingston East. That's which right. Tells he, you that, which tells you that he, that he can play it. Absolutely. Can play a top golf course. Yep. Uh, they're not many better than... Uh, no. 
than the heat. Golf course that demands more than long high and splat on the green. So uh, good luck to Soren this week. Let's move across to the US. The Waste Management Phoenix Open is this week's event, JE. I'm in the don't like this tournament camp. It's a bit divisive. It has the biggest spectator attendance of any golf tournament in the world. It's a it's a real party event. The 16th hole there, the par three, they've turned into a massive party hole. It's more football than golf for mine, uh, which is not to be critical of it, but if I was going to choose an event to go to, I wouldn't choose this one. Lots would. There's nothing wrong with that. be an awful place if we all agreed. But it does give the event a certain vibe, doesn't it, and suit a certain player. There are some players who will never play here because they just cannot cope with uh, being so far out of the comfort zone. And yet there are other players who really lap it up. Uh, so, given all of that, who do you pick in the Waste Management Phoenix Open? Well, the, the only saving grace for this event, um, and it reminds me of Oaks Day at Flemington where there's um, lots of uh, very, very strange positions, people lying on the ground after copious amounts of alcohol. Um, and I've been there myself, but not lying on the ground. I'm generally vertical. <laughs> but um, the wily veteran, uh, the, the, the Jared, <laughs> the Jared Lyle Holy Mine here um, was a highlight. Um, one of golf's and, great moments, actually, and particularly in hindsight, obviously, as to what's happened since. But one of the great moments in golf, regardless, I think. Yeah, and I think that um, <laughs> as 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 we've discussed um, privately, uh, Ricky Fowler's. Tributes, continuous tributes to his friend Jared Lyle are fantastic, and, and as I say, the only saving grace for having the MCG around the 16th uh, fairway or, or 16th green and, and fairway, it's only a par three. But having uh, having all those people there who are half drunk, uh, pe- some people can overcome it. And one of our tips today, Charlie Hoffman, who, as I've said last week. Um, tipped him for the top 40 and he ran tied for ninth with a 65 the last round. He's preparing for the U.S. Masters where he's led a couple of times long way into the tournament. Hasn't won yet, but I think Charlie believes he can win there. So his whole preparation in the in the months and weeks prior, remembering that it's in April, uh, is about peaking for the Masters. And uh, so his last three events, Miss Cut, 61st and 9th. He's on his way. And in this event, it's very interesting to see his uh, improvement in this event. He's obviously must have had some problems facing all the spectators, but he went miscut 61, 53, 51, 24, 26, 20. So he's obviously uh, becoming more and more comfortable with that thing, and he's obviously in form last week. So I've tipped him at 200 bucks, and he's still big odds, I think, for a top top uh, $20, $4.80. So, so uh, there's, there's Charlie, who's a very good player. Um, he's shortened dramatically from because of his ninth finish last week, but he's still well over the odds. He's He'll be 50 to 1 for the Masters, so 201 for the Waste Management seems like a pretty good yeah. deal. I know it's not scientific, but, Jay, but you get a feeling about it. Charlie Hoffman, don't you? At some point in the next couple of weeks, you just feel like he's going to bob up. He's got that trajectory in form. I agree with you. I think it's a bit of a Lucas Herbert. But how much is he for the win? I think he's 200, bucks. 200, which is generally below what you would pick. But let's call him the Lucas Herbert bet for the week because he could, he might just jump up and knock this one off, I suspect. And 200 is not bad odds if you get on. 
Nej, no, no, that's okay. Now, Tyler Duncan, who won uh, in, in December, a very good striker. And uh, he's been down in form the last couple of weeks, which has shifted him out to 730. But uh, I'm, I'm impressed with this kid. He, he, he showed some incredible fortitude to win over the last nine holes when he won his tournament against a very good field. And um, this field's no better. In fact, probably this field's worse because... Uh, a lot of good players are playing in Saudi. So 7.30 for him. And I threw a roughie in here, um, Trey Mullinax, um, who shot he shot 76, I think, the first round last week, and then he shot 67 to make the cut. So um, he's obviously showing a bit of ability. So I've got him at $1,000. And one, your, your perennial favourite... <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I have to bring this up, don't you? I had to endure this yesterday as well, <laughs> listeners. Well, today I'm entitled to, as I told you, you bag, you're getting bagged continuously for, for stuffing up yesterday, and now here I am. I'm I'm in um, I'm in my Sunday t-shirt on a Monday, but anyway, Nate Lashley, who I tipped you one out, one tip, seven hundred and ninety-nine dollars. Uh, the first podcast we did, and you didn't back him, which is just disgraceful. Uh, but anyway, he won, and he's at $500. He snuck out the $500, um, despite the fact that his form is not that bad. Let's have a look. Got it all here. Here we are. All right. He finished 19th three starts ago. So he's uh, playing okay, and uh, 500 bucks. <laughs> so that's that. So, yeah. um, so then we have... Um, Top 20s, Trey Malinax, who we've explained, $18.50. Now, Martin Laird, Martin Laird, I put him into the top 20s at $6 because Martin... Scottish chap, to a winner. There's one on the tour. His record here, this is his record here. Third, 61st, miscut, 19, 5, 41, Seven nine, so Can't out of wait. the last seven events at this course, he's run in the top ten four times. So we're being a little bit, we're giving us a bob each way, and we put him in the top twenty at six dollars, and I think that's luxury. So, so that's him, and and I also uh, found Charlie Hoffman for the top twenty bets as well. So um, because of the previous, as I as I mentioned previously. So those are the tips for the week. Um, I think uh, there needs to be some comment, Rod, about the Saudi tournament. Indeed, um, you're one step ahead of me. Let's start with that one, then we might have a quick chat about the Premier Golf League, this world golf tour idea that's been floated and continues to get more and more press each and every day. But let's start with Saudi Arabia. Politics and sport, J.E., I don't reckon... As a species, we've ever really come to terms with this relationship between the two. I'm in the camp that says, whilst you can't uh, be a supporter of the Saudi regime and the human rights abuses that we see there, and in particular, well, not in particular, it's no more or less important, but they knocked off one of their own, a journo, in a particularly uh, unsavoury way just a year or so ago um, for reporting on various things in Saudi Arabia. Going to Saudi Arabia and accepting... Uh, appearance money to do so based on that you'd think seems outrageous but when you look around the world at the places we play golf JE 
if you're going to say that about Saudi Arabia, there's a whole bunch of other places in the world that you might make a case not to play golf at as well, including some states in America and indeed for some people, possibly even here in Australia, given our record in some areas. So it's awkward, isn't it? It's tricky. Well, I I was never ever a... Um, I didn't favour politics and sport intermingling, um, sport being a pastime and, and politics being torture. Um, but you've got to go back and look at how the Springbok tour of New Zealand in 1981 effectively changed South Africa from a, 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 a terrible apartheid nation to a democratic country. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that we haven't got another Nelson Mandela there. But, but having said that, in that case, sport influenced politics greatly. Now, as you say, Saudi Arabia um, has a very ordinary history of the treatment of women and uh, uh, and, the, and, and cutting up the journalists wasn't a particularly uh, pleasing exercise particularly if you're a journalist like you are. Well, i put it this uh, way. I won't be going to Saudi Arabia to cover the tournament and I certainly won't be writing journalist on my visa application if I ever do. No, well, you, you could... And, you know, apparently they were, they were able to hack into Jeff Bezos' phone so they're not going to have any difficulty hacking into ours and finding out what opinions we've got. So, so yeah, I, that's a very wise decision. But, but having said that, if we start to become precious, and I know that... Um, that uh, Meg McLaren is, is refusing to go there, and, and good on her for she's she's making her own decision, and I think that's the way it ought to be. But um, you know, what about the fact that America's selling guns to them, and uh, so is Great Britain, and, yeah. and, and and if we want to get really picky, how about how Australians treated the Aborigines in Tasmania? I mean, they left Truganini at '88 there, but they they managed to knock off everybody else who they could find. So. You know, how do we how do we compute all that and decide, right, I'm not going to go to that place, but having said that... I'll play I'm the WGC in China, where they try yeah, people I'm going to go to Wuhan. And, yeah, I'm going to head off to Wuhan. Well, exactly well, right, yeah. so, 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 you know, I think, I think that um, um, it's best left out of it. I suppose you may... It, what's easier to say is, <clears throat> if you're not sure where the line is, even someone who's not sure where the line is knows that Saudi Arabia is on the wrong side of the line. I understand that as an argument. But here's the to me. for The the top players are going to attract all the attention. Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Rose. All of these people who've accepted money to go and play there are coming under, in certain sections, a lot of criticism for doing so. I think quite rightly. They're beyond that doing an awful lot of PR work. I'm seeing... Videos on Twitter of Patrick Reed talking to groups of school children and going on about growing the game in the country and those sorts of things. They're in a different situation, <clears throat> pardon me, to me, to the week-to-week European tour players who don't have the luxury of another $2 million not making much of a difference to their life either way, who, as you say, would play down a highway if there was a purse at the other end because it's what they do for a living. And it feels like they're in a somewhat different situation. I think Meg McLaren's in that camp. And I agree with you. I applaud her. And it's not about agreeing with her. I applaud her for making the decision morally and saying so publicly that she doesn't want to go and play play in Saudi Arabia because she thinks it's problematic. So like most things in life, Jay, 
looks black and white on the surface. It never is. Every story has a minimum of three sides, and they're the simple ones. Real stories are much more complex than that. And this is as complex as any issue possible. So lots of people won't agree with me about that, and that's okay. Uh, But that's how it feels to me, is that those top players have gone a step beyond... We don't agree with the regime, but that's where we're playing this week. My job is to play golf. That's where we're playing. They've gone a step beyond to not only have they taken the money. I think Dustin Johnson was quoted this week as saying he was looking forward to the snorkeling, wasn't he? In Saudi Arabia. Yeah, in the Red Sea. In the Red Sea. Has he not heard of Kosamui and uh, and the the Barrier Reef? Yeah, Mickelson Mickelson saying, you know, he's going to see a place in the world he's never been to see before. Come on, Phil. We all know that you can afford the plane ticket to go and see Saudi Arabia on an off week if you wanted to. So there's a bit of disingenuousness about it. And I don't know whether it's... Look, ultimately, a bit like the caddy relationship, the players are responsible. But this feels to me like it's an extremely profitable week for managers. I think the managers of those players get a really big cut of that appearance money and they're the ones who advise the players that it's quite okay to go and make these publicity videos saying how everything's wonderful in Saudi Arabia and the game's growing. All things that we know aren't 100% true. Nor are they 100% false, but they're not 100% true. And it papers over a lot of cracks. And I think that's disappointing. Well, I think there's two camps on the other side. There's the dumb camp, where I won't name them, and then there's the immoral camp, right? So, so uh, not, the immoral camp aren't going to take a moral stand. They haven't on any, any other issue. And the dumb camp, uh, well, Don't they're um, they're, too, they're, wor- <laughs> they're worrying about um, the effect of a grain of sand upon, um, you know, I mean, shuffling the tits off the coins yeah. comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And, of course, Sergio playing for free after his absolutely disgraceful behaviour last year and attacking and smashing up a bunker so badly and damaging greens that the poor players behind him. So he's he's had to donate his services this year. So uh, he's, in a way, got what he deserved. The second one I wanted to ask you about, J.E., and we'll wrap this up fairly soon because for those who aren't interested in golf, they probably left us about 10 or 15 minutes ago. This uh, Premier Golf League, World Golf Tour, what's what's your gut reaction to this? There's a thumbnail sketch for anyone who doesn't know. It seems a bunch of blokes in the UK have managed to access a whole bunch of Saudi Arabia money and some others, uh, it would seem, have proposed that they want to get the, well, they call it the top 48 players. They don't seem to, we don't seem to know whether that's the top 48 players who put bums on seats at tournaments or the top 48 actual best players, according to the world rankings, uh, into a separate league. 18 events, 10 in the US, 8 outside, $10 million purses, $2 million for the winner, a team component within, it would be four teams of 12, uh, the teams would have franchise owners and you'd have little dramas about who got picked each week and who didn't get picked yeah. and all the other stuff that comes with team sport. They're talking about maybe taking over the Australian Open or wanting to having approached the Australian Open as one of their international events, which means the Australian Open would be a 48-player field, so that immediately makes it not <coughs> an Australian Open or indeed an Open. So lots to talk about, Jay. I don't think we've got the full story of it yet. Most of the top players, interestingly, have not said not interested. Uh, Mickelson played in the Pro-Am in Saudi Arabia with, uh, apparently, uh, a couple of the uh, the backers, the the driving the, the people who are driving this. He played in the Pro-Am with them, and he's told people that he's intrigued. Nobody's actually said no to it. What do you reckon? Does golf need a shake-up? Is this the shake-up golf needs? Because I think everybody who listens to us would know neither of us are uh, flag-bearing campaigners for the PGA Tour as having been a force for good in the game, and it's the PGA Tour that will suffer if this gets up. Yeah, well, 
I think um, when Greg Norman and Rupert Murdoch uh, had a shot at this um, breaking the PJ Tour monopoly uh, some years ago, it was the Hydra of Murdoch and uh, and Norman, which I think stopped it. I think had it, had it been, say, um, somebody extremely wealthy, maybe say, let's say the, the Wizard of Omaha um, and and uh, Peter Thompson running the idea, Peter Thompson having created the World Tour in effect uh, by by promoting the game in Japan and Asia, walking, then walking, there might well have been a talk, it might well have been a different result then. Um, Fincham, Tim Fincham, who then was the commissioner, uh, scotched it by producing his own series of world golf uh, events, which, whilst they've been lucrative for the players, um, the only ones you remember are Nick Ahern beating Tiger twice and Jeff Ogilvie winning a couple of them um, in magnificent fashion. The rest of them, I mean, Tigers won seven or eight of them, or nine or ten, or who knows what. But you don't remember them, whereas, you know, people with good memories like Michael Clayton can run <laughs> off. Yes. He can run off. He can run off what clubs they played with, what colour the bag was, and, and, what, and who the caddy was at every one of the majors. Whereas, if you asked him uh, the same questions about the WGC events, I don't think he'd have a, a clue. But no. Maybe he would, but but if he'd be the only one who would if he did. So my feeling is that um, this, the whole success of this thing is going to be who backs it. Uh, and uh, it does appear to be a, a major English uh, sporting outfit or, or, you know, commercial outfit involved with sport and, and a couple of banks. Uh, Japan, the Japanese bank is interesting because... Um, golf's a huge business in Japan uh, such that they used to have a stock market selling memberships uh, solely for selling memberships as, as a stock market and so that might give it some chance of success now you mentioned something that, that, um, that I hadn't heard of previously is this concept of team Yeah. now the concept of team the one thing that annoys me about Formula 1 racing is this concept of team where a, a manufacturer of uh, drinks, Red Bull, can can run out and uh, and now they're car makers. I mean, hey, does that work? Rather than it used to be Ferrari, Mercedes, Jaguar, uh, da 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 da, and it still is in Australian motorsport. It's Ford vs Holden, and sometimes they throw in a Jaguar or even the odd other car, Porsche, I think. So essentially, to me, that team thing, uh, I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of that, but I am a fan of a shake-up for the PGA Tour um, in that the problem, I, I believe, is that the PGA Tour are driving the game down a path that it shouldn't go, which is having to buy... I mean, Augusta's had to buy the next door golf course so it can expand its uh, 13th hole to retain the integrity. Instead of hitting a wedge, which uh, Bubba did regularly, uh, you're now going to have to hit a five iron. Well, okay. But what happens when the ball goes further? They're going to have to buy the whole state of Georgia. So, to me, that's ridiculous. What we 
I mean, why wouldn't we control the ball so that the players have to hit more than a gap wedge on every par four? And, and I think there was one tournament where um, Dustin Johnson didn't hit anything longer than a wedge into a par four. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, he went, he went a year and almost an entire year. It was September before he hit anything longer than a six iron into a par four. Yeah, well, I mean, look, 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 the problem is they don't play in the wind. As soon as it as soon as it blows five miles an hour, they come off the course. You know, if there's any rain, they they all throw up their hands in the air, and they're off. Right, so they never get they never get tested. Their skills never their real skills never get tested. Anyone anyone in the in the can hit a wedge on a green. I mean, a twenty four handicapper will get a wedge on the green. Give them a wedge. Give them a three iron or well, you know, you kept saying. I mean, there's no two irons today. Well, there are. They they've got four on them. Yeah, that's exactly. Two iron with four on them. So they're they're there. They're still there. They've just given. They've changed the nomenclature. Yeah. But anyway, to me, this the tour is 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 the prime problem. They've got a. They're they're making balls that guys with 110 mile an hour swing speed go 40 yards further, and Joe Public. It doesn't go a yard further for them because their their, their clubhead speeds below ninety. So, so somewhere along the line, they've got too powerful. The, the concept of all the PGAs being amalgamated into an international PGA and all having a say—it doesn't seem to me like anybody else gets a say. I mean, the PGA Tour now runs for fifty weeks of the year, so there's no time for South Africa, no time for uh, Australia uh, or New Zealand. And and I and I think that's that's bad for the game. We we there should this concept of a world tour. I don't think they'll pinch the Australian Open with a limited field, but we could bring back what is a tournament with wonderful cachet, the Australian Masters. Masters. That's exactly right. So there's some there's some potential for it. It's a, a, I agree with almost everything you say. Obviously, we know that the regulation of the equipment is not the job of the PGA Tour, but I think the point being the PGA Tour is undoubtedly encouraging. And has publicly said they see no problem with the game as it is and the distance that the ball goes. They, in fact, think it's a very healthy and sustainable situation, uh, that the game is entertainment and that people are entertained by players hitting the ball a long way and, indeed, distances that those watching could never themselves hope or dream to hit it. So and I, I think that's a more complex argument than they're, they're making. And, of course, hitting the ball a long way isn't golf. It's only one part of golf. It's a massive advantage if you've got other skills. And it's not any knock on Dustin Johnson that he can go for nine months of the year without hitting a club longer than a six iron into a par four. That's not a knock on him. In fact, that's a testament to his extraordinary athletic ability and skill. But it shouldn't you be can't. possible for him to hit the ball as far as he does. That can yeah. be regulated. And for the sake of golf courses, which are the unforgotten aspect of all of this, the PGA Tour thinks the players are the most important thing in the game. And there's a whole bunch of us on the other side who think actually the courses are by far the more important thing in the game because they are what makes golf unique. Tennis courts are tennis courts. Cricket pitches are cricket pitches with all due respect. Football fields are football fields. Uh, they have set dimensions. They have lines. Golf courses are free form. Each one is unique. The old courses is different to Augusta National as Royal Melbourne is to Kingston Heath. All are revered for a reason. They're the thing that makes the game the most interesting. If just long hitting and uh, entertainment was the name of the game, we could move the PGA Tour to Top Golf and just have them hit off platforms. And it would be much easier to televise, much cheaper. And we may end up with that one day. Who knows, Jay? But to me, that's well, that not would golf. Be... That's not golf. Right. 
Well, is is, is look, it's it's it's, it's like um, in cricket now. They've they've got the the bats now where they hit a lot more sixes over the fence. And mm-hmm. uh, what happens when every ball goes for six? You know, so well, suddenly suddenly you've ruined the game. The you game devalue was, it, don't you? You devalue it to the point where it, and, it, and uh, this golf, you know, golf is a. I mean, we've, there's been some interesting conversations about um, recently uh, on, on the Twitter, Twitterati, about this concept that it doesn't matter where you hit it on the golf course. Well, I can tell you, if you go to to, to St Andrews, um, there are places where you have to play at right angles to the line uh, in certain wind conditions and certain pin positions um, because you can't go the other way. The other way is not reachable. Now, if you make it so that the, that the players can drive over all the hazards um, into the Elysian fields on every hole, then you take away a, a huge skill of the game, which Tiger showed when he played there early on, and he didn't hit it in a bunker for the whole tournament. Now, if you've played St Andrews, there are bunkers everywhere. You can't see them. Some of them are set up to go for the other... when the course used to play backwards. So... To avoid the bunkers with the wind blowing and the conditions that the, the the fast running conditions that are always there at St Andrews in the summer, you you've just got to say that was an extraordinary test of skill. If you can get up and bomb it over all of, all of that stuff, then you take away an element of the game which is which has been paramount for the six hundred plus years we've been playing it, which is that the most skillful player wins. If you take the make it into a long driving contest, it's no longer a test of skill. It's it's Phyllis Meddy's going to win the women's every year, mm-hmm. um, and NB Park's not going to have a chance. So I just think that we've got to somewhere along the line. If the PGA Tour, as an example, would have side with the RNA and the USGA and say, "Look, the game's got an issue, we can resolve it, and we'll resolve it together," and they made a ruling and just said, "Right." The ball's going to be um, not 1.62 ounces, but maybe 1.4 ounces or slightly bigger. And it's got to be made with natural materials, not plastic. All of a sudden, wait a minute. Now now we're in a position where... See, Tiger Woods, when he first won the Masters, he used to only drive at 280 yards. Well, now they're driving at 380 yards. How's that work? It can't work for the game. Yeah, he, he was a bit. Look, Tiger Woods is an interesting example. When he won his first Masters in '97, he was unfathomably long. Other long hitters were quite taken aback at the distances that he was hitting the ball at the time. He was hitting it well over 300 yards regularly with a wound ball and a steel shafted driver and carrying it a long way in the air because of his extraordinary skill and athleticism. Uh, and that separated him from the field in a significant way. Well, that's no longer the case. Greg Norman at 280 separated himself from the field in a significant way because others couldn't control the ball at those club head speeds the way he could to drive it into the places that he did to get the advantage that that sort of power can give you if it's used wisely. And the game's changed to where very few stand out. Johnson is one, I would say, who stands out with the driver and McElroy is another who can separate themselves a little bit because of their skill with the driver. Adam Scott, to a certain extent, sometimes as well. But for the most part, with the size of the driver head, players of that skill level, they rarely miss the sweet spot, which is so much bigger than it used to be, and they're kind of free to wail away 
and they'll have some kind of short eye to the grade. So we're talking in circles. But in terms of the World Golf League, if I thought it was going to solve some of those problems, I would be. I don't think it will. I think it'll make some of those problems worse. It'll take the model of the PGA Tour that's been successful and try to build on it. Power game, athletic plans. You've only got to look at the culture in golf now compared to 30 or 40 years ago. 30 years ago, Greg Norman was one of the few who quite obviously worked out in the gym, uh, had that sort of physical strength and that look about him. Now they all do. They all look like they could switch to football or uh, another sort of a physical sport, the likes of Brooks Kepka and, and, and Tiger Woods. So the game's changed a lot, and I don't think this new World Golf League... Premier Golf League, as I think it's called, would be interested in doing it. If they came out and said, we want to play with a restricted flight golf ball and we want to play only the world's best golf courses that deserve the world's best players, I think I'd be all for it. But I don't think there's any money in that, sadly, J.E. Yours and my $20 at the gate isn't going to cover what's required to make that happen. It'd be financial suicide. It'd be yeah. financial suicide if they went. It if, would be financial suicide for them if they had people hitting at 280 yards and the tour has got at 380 yards. That wouldn't work. Well, it needs. That's why the PGA Tour needs to be involved. Yeah, that's right. Because they're the ones who, they're the ones who have to say, look, we want to see more uh, proper golf rather than top sport golf. The game's in a mess, J.E. Uh, it's a mess of our own making, and it's one that nobody seems to be able to agree on a way forward, but I certainly think it's in a mess. And I know that you, as I, and most of the golf world, thoroughly enjoyed the spectacle at Royal Melbourne at the President's Cup. But even that, I would say, if you were to put on your uh, objective hat, wasn't the, wasn't the competition and wasn't the golf that we could and should be able to see at Royal Melbourne because despite the magnificent job that Richard Forsyth did in setting up the golf course and the incredible job that Tiger Woods in particular did in playing it, it would have been even more entertaining and more of a spectacle uh, if the ball didn't fly as far as it does uh, in this day and age. So, anyway. and it, was interesting, it was interesting that it was interesting and it probably is still true of St Andrews too that despite the distances that the players are capable of hitting it, Royal Melbourne reined them in and uh, um, because of it, because of its beautiful green design and um, and, and, and the problems of if you, if, if, you, if you miss those greens you've got real issues Oh, diabolical and I, and it, places it, it, around those greens aren't they? Places you showed, can't get it, it up and down from, yeah, no matter what But of course yeah. the problem is Jay, we, we don't get to see who's the best driver when the driving distance is 300 yards on average, and therefore most players from a lot of those tees are just hitting two irons or, God forbid, as professionals, hybrids. Um, we don't get to test who is the best driver. So no matter which way you cut it, and I think, don't get me wrong, the President's Cup was a fantastic spectacle and it was a magnificent ad for the game. And the most compelling golf, I think, that we saw almost all year in terms of the battle between the player and the golf course. But even that is somewhat tarnished by the fact that Essentially, the dri- the driver is an almost unnecessary club for the top players, particularly at a course like Royal Melbourne. Um, yeah, well, it was certainly, and I think that the the the, the sensibility of Royal Melbourne was demonstrated by the number of Americans who came and said, "Why don't we play on courses like that yes, over here? Why don't we why don't, why don't we have that kind of golf over here, which is much more exciting to watch, uh, much." question the players uh, and ask questions of the players that, that they don't face very often 
Um, and so that that was a fantastic ad for the game. And but PJ Tour won't copy that. They don't. Want, they don't. They, they they want. They want greens that the two iron. Well, a four iron with a two on it, or two with a four on it. That they can hit over the bunker and stop dead first bounce. Well, that isn't golf. That's darts. So somewhere along somewhere along the line, um, we come back to this problem that that uh, as you say, I don't think this world tour is going to solve it. Uh, it needs the PGA Tour just have to say, look, wait a minute, we're on the wrong track, and that that'll mean a new commissioner, yeah, somebody somebody with the with the understanding of the game that Dean Beeman had, and that Jack Nicklaus has had. For, Forty years, Jack Nicklaus has been. He even he even made a golf ball, the, the Cayman ball that, that did exactly what we were what we what we're talking about. Uh, and nobody listens to Jack. What does he know about the game? Exactly right. It's exactly right. Anyway, uh, we're not going to solve those issues today. All I'll say is, this, in closing, I'll say this: anybody who watched the President's Cup and enjoyed it, whether you're a committed golfer or just a casual fan, and you thought that it was interesting to watch, make some time this week to turn on the. Waste Management Phoenix Open and consider the difference between the spectacle that you'll see there and what we saw at Royal Melbourne. That'll give you a bit more of a sense of the sorts of things that John and I are talking about. Just because you use a club and a ball doesn't mean it's golf. Uh, Golf is a test of far more than just the execution of hitting it from point A to point B and having it stop. And we see far too much of that type of that's a that is a certain skill but it's the less entertaining of the two types of golf the other one being the questions that royal melbourne and augusta national in many ways do ask where you hit the ball in the right place off the tee to give yourself an angle into the green if you fail to do that you're not buried in thick rough Uh, you can still get the club on the ball and if you're good enough you can recover and that's why people like tiger woods have been successful at those places and sevi biasteris the only player to win je at st andrews augusta national and Royal Melbourne. Tiger sort of has because he's got the team event now <laughs> at Royal Melbourne, but that's his uh, that's his only victory in that sense. He has that as at a, an individual. Anyway, uh, as I said, we won't solve all those problems. I hope we haven't bored too, people too much, but lots to think about with this game, if you like the game, indeed if you love the game. Uh, we're at a very, very interesting time in history. And when people look back in 50 years and judge those of us that were doing the commentating and the discussing and trying to set the agendas, J.E., I hope that you and I and Mike Clayton and others are on the right side of that history and that people are thankful. People like Clates and Shackelford and yourself and others have been around at this particular juncture uh, to put the case of what golf should be and should continue to be into the future. Well, only problem is we're old white guys. doesn't help. And, and, and I must make the point, you are older than me. And on that note, <laughs> let's call it a wrap, J.E., Thank you for joining me for the second time for episode 27 of Risk and Reward. Nice to know you were just as grumpy and crotchety the second time around as you were the first. Congratulations for that, and thanks for taking some time, mate. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, good on you, mate. And uh, and and, and um, there's, a, there's a learning in everything, mate. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we continue to move forward whether we like it or not. I uh, hope you've enjoyed episode 27 of Risk and Reward as much as we've enjoyed producing it. We will, of course, be back to do it all again, hopefully, with a massive winner under our belts or sadly some losses under JE's watch uh, next week here on Risk and Reward.